This is made possible by Dustin Campbell, Daily Tech News Show, Andy Beach, Nick Wood, and Craig. Welcome, everybody, to the Politics, Politics, Politics program for September 21st, 2022. Year old pal Justin Robert Young joining you back in the homestead of Austin, Texas. This one's going to be all about the Senate. We're talking about all of the Senate races, all of them. We're getting all of them in. They're all going to get some kind of a mention here on this podcast because I figured it was about time for us to reset. You know, whenever we get a little bit too deep into the weeds on stuff and we start following the narratives and you you go down this rabbit hole and then that rabbit hole and you start assuming things that happened two seconds ago because four seconds from now there's going to be a new piece of information. At a certain point, you might find yourself lost in the thicket of the woods not being able to find the forest for the trees. And so what we're going to do as we are now at the precipice of election day, we're going to reset. We're probably going to do one next week for the House as well. But today it's going to be all about the Senate. Not only are we going to go over the state of play at the beginning of the show, Our friend Evan Scrimshaw is going to come on at the end and we're going to talk about some of the big headliner races or at least the latest bits of information about them. And then just because it's fun, we're Evan and I are going to continue a conversation we started on Twitter, which was who's a worst candidate? (laughs) Stacey Abrams, who's currently getting uh, thumped by Brian Kemp in Georgia or John Ossoff, who actually won. To tip the Senate to the Democrats in 2020. I say Ossoff. He says Abrams. Find out who's right. Determine the winner in your own heart. And in the middle of all that, we're going to have a conversation about COVID. Specifically, one sentence from President Joe Biden this weekend that I believe signifies that the political efficacy of the zero COVID movement is over. All that. Bird first. As you hear this on Wednesday, midterm elections are 47 days away. Mail-in balloting has either begun in many of our battleground states or will begin within the next two weeks. And so with that, we reset the table for the Senate. As you well know, the upper chamber is currently a 50-50 split with Vice President Kamala Harris breaking the tie when the Democrats can get together and run a reconciliation package. In 2022, there are 15 of those 100 seats open. Here are the safe ones. For the Democrats, Blumenthal will hold his seat in Connecticut and Vermont will have another Democratic senator join the chamber. For the Republicans, Lisa Murkowski will hold her seat in Alaska, and Missouri will have another GOP senator. Those are four off the board, 11 left. I am personally taking Marco Rubio off the board for the Republicans in Florida. I I just don't think that Val Demings has a shot. I think that Ron DeSantis is going to drive too high a turnout and we are we are in danger of seeing a red Miami Dade on the democratic side i believe michael bennett will retain his seat in colorado and patty murray will retain her seat in washington state that brings us to 8 the 8 seats that will determine the upper chamber and here they are 
Arizona, Georgia, New Hampshire, North Carolina, Nevada, Pennsylvania, Wisconsin, and Ohio. Later on in this show, we are going to give you the latest information on Georgia, Nevada, and Arizona. And I think I have talked so much about Pennsylvania and Ohio. Anybody who has listened to this program knows my thoughts and feelings on it. So let's take a look at everything else on the board and see if we can find anything that we're missing. Let's start with New Hampshire. Now, let's go back in time on New Hampshire because there was a moment when the Republicans believed this was a snipable seat. Maggie Hassan, the sitting Democratic senator from the live free or die state, but there is a popular Republican governor by the name of Chris Sununu, and there was a rumor that he was going to run for this seat. And then he didn't. He decided to run for re-election for his current job. That means that Don Bulldock is the one who won the GOP primary last week. And he won that primary as more of a wild card over an establishment candidate. That now means that Maggie Hassan, who was worried about this seat, let's remember that she was one of the senators that went and visited the border. Not the Canadian border, from which she's near. No, no, no. The southern border, so she could shore up her bona fides in the face of a conservative challenger. That Maggie Hassan is leading the Real Clear Politics average by 5.6 points. And from my vantage point, I'm going to put this one on the back burner unless we start getting some wild polling that, that, that Don Bulldock is just that dude. Right now, I don't necessarily see it. So there we go. Put that in the pile for the Democrats. I'm going to say the same thing on the other side in North Carolina for the Republicans. Ted Budd is running ahead of Cherry Beasley by an RCP average of 1.3%, but the last two polls have been more generous to him with having him up three. I am again going to assume that some of the the you know past results with North Carolina Senate races, including the Republican win, Last time, despite the fact that it looked more competitive for the Democrat, is going to happen again. And so we're going to put Bud and that North Carolina seat in the Republican pile. Which brings us to the most interesting of these other seats. And that is Wisconsin. Now, This is a bit of a wild card because Ron Johnson was not looked at as particularly vulnerable, but not exactly unbeatable when he began running against Mandela Barnes. And Mandela Barnes gave the GOP and Johnson a heart attack because a Trafalgar Group poll came out at the end of August and said that Barnes was winning this race by two. Let's reset if we're resetting. Trafalgar Group, which has had a very good track record over the last few cycles, does make its bread and butter by saying we accurately poll for conservatives and Republican voters in an era where a lot of polling outfits seem to get that wrong. So if Trafalgar is saying that Johnson is trouble, then, well, Johnson is in mother effing trouble. Here's the problem for Mandela. In a cycle where the meta seems to be the Democrats are these center left figures and the Republicans are these MAGA adjacent wild cards, Mandela doesn't have the best record in terms of some of his conversations about crime. And so as soon as that poll came out, the carpet bombing of ads began to define Mandela on exactly that. Do you feel safe? Mandela Barnes would eliminate cash bail, setting accused criminals free into the community before trial, even with shootings, robberies, carjackings, violent attacks on our police, more than 300 murders last year alone. 
Yet Barnes has even supported defunding the police. Mandela Barnes, he stands with them, not us. Senate Leadership Fund is responsible for the content of this advertising. Johnson is now up half a point, but his last poll had him up four. And so with that, I'm going to toss that Johnson, Wisconsin seat back in to the Republican pile. Which leaves us with five seats that I'm putting in the Democrat pile. Five seats for the Republicans. That leaves our five battlegrounds. Nevada, Arizona, Ohio, Georgia, and Pennsylvania. We're going to pick up that conversation with Evan Scrimshaw a little bit later in the program. Ladies and gentlemen, one of the things that we can reset on the production side of the program is that I got to get my ass out here on this campaign trail. And I would like to officially announce to everybody that supports this program at TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 level gets you two bonus episodes per week. $10 level gets you that, plus your name right at the end of the show. That I have selected... The states we are going to visit. We're going to Georgia. We're going to Nevada. And we're going to Pennsylvania. Georgia, because I do think that it's a legitimate opportunity for the Republicans to snipe a Democratic seat. Nevada, the exact same reason. And it's easy to cover since it's only one county. And Pennsylvania, because, uh, look, I didn't pick this profession so I could not see the television doctor get into verbal fights with somebody who's recovering from a stroke. If part of the reason I have made this my profession is so I can understand the sideshow circus element of democracy. Well, the Pennsylvania race, both staffs of of both campaigns came out of the same clown car because it is wacky up there in the Keystone state The last time I couldn't even see Dr. Oz, thought I was going to see John Fetterman, but he was too busy hiding the fact that he had both a heart attack and a stroke. When I was up trying to see him in Scranton, it was just a a cold. Oh, boy. TakePoliticsSeriously.com. This is when I really do rely on you guys. Uh, uh, This is when your money, it it, it goes (laughs) that and then some. Comes into the Patreon and right out into the cost that it takes on the road. Just so we can highlight it again, nobody else does this. Nobody else goes out of pocket on this stuff. Everybody else who covers these stories nationally, they got an expense card. Yeah, they got to fill out some paperwork, but they ain't paying for it. It ain't coming out of their salary. Comes out of mine because I love doing this and you guys deserve it. TakePoliticsSeriously.com Is the pandemic over? The pandemic is over. We still have a problem with COVID. We're still doing a lot of work on it. Uh, it's, but the pandemic is over. If you notice, no one's wearing masks. Everybody seems to be in pretty good shape. And so I think it's changing, and I think this is a perfect example of it. That is Joe Biden on 60 Minutes. And oddly enough, it was probably the third most newsworthy thing he said during the season premiere of the Venerable News magazine. That would be after a hint that he might not run for re-election and a possible wink towards World War III with China. We'll probably talk about those two at some point. But considering. There was a point in time that this program, the podcast, Politics, 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 like so many, became home to virologist hot takes. I feel it is important that we spell something out relative to what Biden just said. The political utility of the COVID zero crowd is over. I'm not saying that people who genuinely are terrified about COVID aren't scared. 
I'm not saying that people who want mitigation factors in place at least further along the line, if not forever, aren't vulnerable. And hell, I'm not even saying that they're not right. What I am saying is that the era of people who seek to stop the spread of COVID-19 through public policy mitigations, including closures of public spaces and private businesses, mask mandates and vaccine passports, their time has come and gone. It matters that Biden said it because Biden was the choice of the COVID zero crowd. And if you don't have him, you don't have much left. So, if the pandemic is over, as Joe says, how do we do? According to Worldometers, which I'm using because it's been the site that I've consistently gone through through the pandemic, the United States suffered 97,544,555 cases of COVID at the time of this recording. One million. 78,938 Americans died with the disease. It does bear mentioning at the moment as I read these stats that the numbers of dead per state almost exactly tracks to the population of the state with our top four most populous states, California, Texas, Florida, and New York, having the highest death tolls in the exact same order. That would probably say a little something about the fact that Texas and Florida took things a lot different than California and New York, and yet wound up having about the same death percentage relative to their population. Of course, there is a lot of debate on exactly how to parse the difference between dying of COVID, meaning walking down the street, definitely not going to die today. Oops, I got COVID. I'm dead and dying while testing positive for COVID. Because as you might imagine, one of the most likely places you're going to get COVID is in a hospital when people are taking care of you, possibly for something else. But the fact that we still do have hundreds of people dying per day from COVID is something that I see a lot as a talking point from the remnants of the COVID zero crowd. According to World of Meters, within the last two weeks, there were anywhere between 600 and 150 deaths per day. However, again, considering how contagious this disease is and the fact that if you're sick for anything, you wind up going to the hospital, hospitals are where COVID lives, that's still up for question. And yet, the reason why political utility for this crowd has waned is because of the tools that we now have to prevent COVID. According to Our World in Data, the American vaccination rate for at least one shot is 79%, and the rate for fully vaccinated is 68.2. 613 million doses have been given. And we also have new boosters hitting pharmacies that are said to specifically target variants not covered by the initial vaccines. Although, to be fair, preprints about the new boosters say that it has about the same uh, effectiveness as the previous boosters. So don't worry. If you want a vaccine, just get a vaccine. And you want it boosted, then get it boosted. And maybe it's okay to get it boosted, you know, now as we're about to go into a lot of travel. What we do know is this, a vaccine is something that you should seriously consider if you have multiple comorbidities or are beyond 60 years of age. If you are without comorbidities and younger than 60, consider the vaccines and boosters as pre-therapeutics. They can mitigate the severity and length of your illness. Unfortunately, they do not prevent transfer. Indeed, The bedeviling detail about COVID-19 is the fact that it is so insanely transmissible. Try as we might. Here's the good news. 
If you do get COVID, now more than ever, you have options to mitigate its severity. Paxlovid, which both Joe and Jill Biden took when they caught COVID in the White House recently, is readily available. And monoclonal antibodies, the same therapy that Donald Trump got when he caught COVID during the 2020 campaign, can be found if you kick around, especially if you live in a major city. It was available for people in my social circle here in Austin at the very least. COVID is endemic. It is one of thousands of things that desperately want to kill you on Earth. This disease and the resulting caution toward it has taken our loved ones and, in some cases, our empathy and our humanity. But this is the direction that the political wind is blowing. You might not like it, but you listen to this show because, hopefully, you understand that I'm going to call it as I see it. And so, and what I'm going to jinx myself and say is hopefully one of the last COVID segments that I have to do. Please be good to one another. And with any luck, we'll all live to see the next thing that wants us dead. All right, I promised you guys that we would talk about the rest of the Senate slate, and we love to talk about our friend who crunches the numbers, helps you place the bets, the one, the only, Evan Scrimshaw. Welcome back to the show, buddy. Thanks for having me, man. Love coming on. Well, it's, I mean, this is the season where you're going to be on a lot because we have a lot to talk about. The polls are coming fast and furious. Indeed, right before we started recording this, uh, we're recording at around uh, 10 central time here on Tuesday, September 20th. A new poll rolls in, several polls roll in from the Atlanta Journal-Constitution that have Walker up to. This follows a string of very good polls for Warnock. So let's start there in the peach state. What's the state of play? Uh, Democrats are in good shape. Um, Not excellent shape, but they're, they're in good shape. Um, But of course, a lot of people are going to be focusing on the one poll that came out that were good for Republicans in Georgia today and not the Raphael Warnock plus five Marist poll that came out 45 minutes later, because that's how narratives work. (laughs) <laughs> um, but Democrats are in good shape. Like Quinnipiac had them up six last week. Um, there's some questions about whether or not this is going to a runoff. Obviously, if no candidate gets 50 percent, they're going there. There is a libertarian on the ballot. So that's really bad for Republicans because there are a decent number of scenarios where um, uh, Herschel Walker can maybe get a small lead, a small plurality, but he gets stuck on 48, 48 and a half, 49 percent of the vote. And as we just saw in 2020, runoff dynamics are better for Democrats than they are Republicans. So we'll get to that. We have the, I have a lot to say about that particular runoff that you are talking about, but we will. But, but yeah, put, put a pin in that for everybody. But that is something that I think is probably not being focused on enough that I have seen you talk about, which is let's remind everybody that in Georgia, if you do not get over 50 percent, then this does go to a runoff. So no matter no matter uh, how everything winds up slicing uh, uh, it would be more likely for Warnock to win outright than it would be Walker because you have that third party candidate. Yeah. And the thing is, is that when Warnock has a lead in the polls, it tends to be four or five or six points, which realistically you're, you're the margin you need to avoid a runoff is probably two to three points given yeah. um, that's probably what you would expect a you know, a, a libertarian in Georgia to get uh, Shane Hazel got 2.4 last time to keep Ossoff Purdue going to a runoff. So like in that range. Um, and the thing is, is that in scenarios where uh, Warnock gets, gets the numbers he needs, he does so because black turnout is really high. And if black turnout is really high, there are a lot of scenarios where he gets 50 and a half, 50 and a quarter, which is just over the line. But Walker seems to have a bit of a limited, he does seem to have a bit of a ceiling on his support. 
um, which probably stops him from getting above 50 too often. And you would think no matter what, and we're going to have a lot to say about Stacey Abrams by the end of this interview as well, but no matter what you think of Stacey Abrams, there's no doubt that between her and Warnock, they have attempted to build and deploy the most fearsome black turnout machine in Georgian history. Right. Right. Exactly. And that's why like that is the, that is the reason Democrats have the Senate right now is uh, like before, like if, if it had been the democratic, the state democratic party in Georgia circa 2016 Democrats are SOL. Um, but they have built a magnificent black turnout operation. And if it comes out and I highly suspect with two black candidates at the top of the ticket, it will come out. The Democrats are probably not looking at a scenario where Walker hits 50 on the day. And I think a lot of Democrats after beating David Perdue in a runoff, I think a lot of Democrats in Georgia are feeling pretty good about the chances of being Herschel in a runoff. If it comes to it. That'll be an interesting one, especially if it's the only thing on the calendar and and the entire media fixates around it. Uh, let's talk about the the numbers that you've been keeping. You've you've uh, uh, been keeping your own spreadsheet of five thirty eight with adjustments for how far the polls were off in twenty twenty. Correct. Yes. And what does that show right now? So I have not adjusted it for the Georgia polls. So okay. So, so uh, allowing by, for allowing by, for the one the one uh, uh, AJC poll. What does it show? And and Maris, which I assume we're going to cancel it anyways. Nevada is literally a pure tie. Uh, Democrats are down three in North Carolina. They're down six in Wisconsin. They're up six in Pennsylvania, up two ish in Georgia, uh, up six in Arizona, and they're down seven in Ohio. So then the 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 biggest it would be, issues, it would be fifty. It would be fifty Democratic seats, forty nine Republicans, and then Nevada. I assume we'll get into that at some point. If, if we were, yeah, if that were, if that were what uh, uh, were going to happen immediately. Um, I'm trying to decide where I'm going to go. I, I, I've decided I'm going to go to three states to, to see the candidates. Um, I've got my, my, my short list, but, but if, if I were coming to you uh, 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 for, for counsel, where do you think I should go to cover some of this stuff? Boots on the ground. Uh. Nevada, Georgia, and then take your pick of Dr. Oz or J.D. Vance Insanity. I think Nevada and Georgia are the two seats. So I I did a like I just did like one of those like Twitter questions. That's like yeah. just a prompt for like a bunch of quote tweets and a bunch of replies. And just like if Republicans win 51 Senate seats, they're winning two of Pennsylvania, Georgia, Arizona, Nevada. Which yeah. two are they winning? Everybody to a man said Nevada was in that list. And most people said Georgia was number two and well, probably because Nevada has the only candidate that's run for office before. <laughs> right. Know? Like Laxalt, Laxalt's a thousand percent the best GOP candidate of the, of the big four races. And even if you extend it to the sort of broader Senate map, like by far the best candidate um, could be damning for with faint praise, but you know, we move. Um, yeah. He is, he is certainly it, the most experienced at doing this before everybody else is a novice. Right. And he's the one who's least likely to make stupid mistakes down the stretch. Um, I think Nevada's of the big four, like it's the state that's probably got the worst trends for Democrats. Um, you know, it's, it's a state that in medium term, I think Democrats are probably going to lose it. I think, I think that's pretty much consensus. Um, given the sort of working class nature of the state and democratic slippage with working class voters generally. Um, I, I mean, I, I would just go to Ohio because that race, like, yes, the math sort of doesn't really suggest it's going to be that close, but I don't know. Tim Ryan starring footballs at TVs and ads. And Isn't it weird that he's just running a Republican campaign? Like that is the standard. Normally when Republicans run that ad, they're shooting the televisions instead of throwing <laughs> footballs at him. But, but I've seen that ad like seven times for, 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 for Republicans. And he's just, he's running as a dude that he's not. And I don't quite understand why. Because it's his, because it's his only chance of victory, right? Like we all, yeah. uh, like everyone, everyone has like lionized the Jason Kander, um, putting together an assault rifle blindfolded ad and like yeah that's what you have to do when you're running in red states like you have to you have to meet your voters where you are and the thing about ryan is, is that i think he has enough he has enough sort of cachet with democrats to know that 
some of the right wing things he says in his TV ads are like, he's not going to be like Joe Manchin 2.0, but he kind of needs to position himself as Joe Manchin 2.0 to win his voters. Like, I don't think he's going to win, but like in the theoretical universe in which he wins, it's because he convinces a bunch of uh, Trump voters that he's like, uh, not, yeah. not scary. And again, well, we're, we, you, you know my position on whether or not that's going to happen. It's no, not, but like, it's not. Yeah. In theory. Yeah. And I think we are, we are, we are simpatico. It's definitely going to be Nevada. It's definitely going to be Georgia. And uh, uh, if you think that I'm going to pay out of my own pocket to go see politicians and it's not going to be the television doctor and the guy who is still recovering from a stroke, then you're kidding yourself. That is something. Yeah. I I think, I think Arizona, like, I think of the big, like, I think Arizona is just like, would be so boring. It's like Blake Masters is now like trying to just be like phony, fake, boring, which uh, literally like just miss me with that. Um, and Mark Kelly is the most boring human being alive. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I, I have, I have little interest right now in, in Arizona, except for this. I understand why Brian Kemp, who has a very large profile in Georgia is consistently running ahead of Herschel Walker. What I don't quite understand is why Carrie Lake is fairly consistently running ahead of Blake Masters in Arizona as if if you're doing the well you know quote unquote good candidate or bad candidate there's certainly two novices and Kerry seems to be the more out there one so if if the argument is that Herschel Walkers and, and Blake Masters are scary to voters then shouldn't she be even scarier so there's a few few reasons one uh Mark Kelly is a much 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 better candidate than Getty Hobbs and Hobbs is running a frankly, like she is running a classic frontrunner's campaign, despite the fact that I don't actually think she's a front runner. Um, I think she's a slight favorite, but like she is running this like very, she's running the political campaign equivalent of the prevent defense, and you yes. do that when you're up fifteen, not up by which is a which few, is just don't don't mention your opponent, don't mention the issues, just talk about the things that you are positive about and and move on and and avoid and avoid any headline at any time whatsoever because yeah. headlines are only gas potential gas for you um so i think Hodge is running not a great campaign um two arizona is more um republican down ballot there are a lot of voters who will vote for democrats for federal office who like mark kelly uh but who like the fact that arizona has no taxes and don't want the risk of a democrat trying to raise their taxes um and the third thing is just like masters not only is a bad candidate for all the like Trump election denial stuff, he came out for the privatization of social security in a state that is like a billion years old in aggregate. Um, and in addition, also fetal personhood, which is still a much more substantially right wing position than Carrie Lake being. Yeah. And he's like, walked that back. That he was, he was, he was one of the first ones to kind of hit the, hit the, 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 the reverse beeps on that. But uh, I, I do think that the, that's, the damage that's is still, interesting. The damage is still done. Cause if you have to reverse, then you're like, then you're, then you look in, inauthentic. Whereas yeah, Lake at least I mean, is authentically. I, I, I think, I think in, in general, the idea of, uh, uh, we are seeing a, a great kind of refashioning and reckoning on a lot of <laughs> Republican pro-life positions on, on what's, Oh, that wasn't exactly what I meant. What exactly I meant was this, that, and the other. I, I do think that what's puzzling to me about Blake Masters was I thought his great advantage was going to be the bottomless Peter Thiel money turbine. And that has yet to appear does not look like it will appear. And now Mitch McConnell's of all people is doing fundraisers for him. I mean, the, the problem is, is that I think, I think Teal wanted to basically get a few senators who were going to end up being basically functional lobbyists for him. And he thought he only had to get them through the primary. And you can do that with a couple million dollars. And I think he massively underestimated the, uh, amount of money that he was that like and i think in theory in may or whatever he probably could have gotten away with just getting masters to the primary in, uh, a, in a pre-dobs a pre-dobs right right like pre-dobs i was i thought kelly was gonna lose and i thought he was gonna lose and it wasn't even gonna be particularly close so i think he just i think he had the stomach for you know a mid seven figure had to buy to secure his to secure his preferred senators and i don't think he has a stomach for 
eight or nine figure ad buys, which is probably what masters would need right now. And I also think that rich people don't don't stay rich by dumping tens of millions of dollars into um, what looks like a money pit. Yeah, but super donors do stay super donors by dumping gigantic amounts of money in what looks to be a money pit, depending on exactly what they want to get out of that money pit. Uh, all right. I'm trying to think if there's anything else. Uh, uh, oh, oh, the, 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 the debate go round, uh, Fetterman's decision to do a debate, but do it so far late in the cycle. I think it's like seven days before election day. Uh, I think that's probably about as smart of a move as he could make. Uh, although it certainly does tacitly admit that this is probably going to be ugly, right? It, Mm, I don't well, yeah, so it 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 definitely implies that it also implies that the later we push this back, the better chance we have of getting a good outcome, like yes, the, yeah, because they his, don't want it earlier because then the headlines would last earlier and and then if it's a bomb, then he would be pressured to do it again, right, and also, in theory, he is probably going to be slightly better in a debate like on. October 25th or 24th or whatever the day is then September 24th or 25th like that month theoretically is a month I mean that's that's a bad yeah yeah I mean with 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 all with all due respect for everybody who who wants to put a timeline on recovering from a stroke uh, everything that I've been able to read on this says that it is totally unpredictable like, like this right, is not right, like but, like but rehabbing time, a broken knee or something like that right but but buying you time gives you at least the chance. Time, yeah. Time gives it you gives, something. It gives you upside in theory. Yeah. In theory. In theory. I mean, uh, my, my real my real take on Senate debates is that the only people who watch Senate debates are literally like the nerdiest people alive. Total nerds. Me and, and like yes, exactly. We like the media discourse should probably care much less about debates in general. And I and I'm not just saying this to protect Fetterman or whatever. Like like we did this in 2020 where people were like literally like elections Twitter was literally like overanalyzing Alaska debates that were held on like Facebook at like 1230 <laughs> Eastern time. And I literally were like, well, well, our had a good answer to that question. So does that mean his chances just went up? And I'm like, literally no one is watching this except teenagers. Here would be the only argument that I would have against that for these particular races. And I would say Warnock Walker and Fetterman Oz specifically. Number one, they're novices on the Republican side. We have not seen them debate ever. So there's a little bit of a novelty to it uh, in, in Georgia. The thing with the Pennsylvania debate is I do believe that has the capacity to be some that would have something that would affect the race because, you know, this is not just, oh, is this candidate nervous? This is not just, oh, well, this candidate flubs their words every once in a while. To watch Fetterman speak can sometimes get ugly and and that happening, an embarrassing moment that could then play on the local news because or the national news because it is something as ugly uh, as as it could be, I do think has has a capacity to do it. But having it that late in the cycle, I think, mitigates it. Yeah. When, you know, a decent chunk of Democratic voters are already going to have turned out to vote and um, you're. Yeah, I mean. I think that's the thing. Like, I don't think, I don't think like gaff answer is really a problem. I think in the like, you know, worst case scenario for Democrats. Yeah. I think that could actually break through, but like uh, a lot and of, that, and that's made, the thing. Like, I mean, have you, have you, how much have you watched him speak lately? Uh, en enough. Like he has, he has good moments and bad moments. And yes, I would, I would, I would agree with expected. that, but, 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 but that, the bad moments, the bad situation. moments are bad. The bad moments are bad. And, and oh, yeah, and I'm, that's not, like, I'm not disagreeing with that. Yeah. And that's and that's the thing is like, uh, of, you know, if there's a bad moment that gets encapsulized and then becomes a meme and then becomes a national story about whether or not it's OK to make fun of a disabled candidate or something like that, that is a bad idea. Anyway, we will see later on in that uh, uh, we got into a back and forth on Twitter. And this is going to be speaking of things that only political nerds care about. This is this is why you guys are listening to this show, because this is a great political nerd conversation. 
who is the worst political candidate between Stacey Abrams, which is the position that you have taken, and I have taken the position that John Ossoff is a worse political candidate than Stacey Abrams. You are my guest. I will allow you to go first. Stacey Abrams, in a left-turning state, managed to uh, managed to fail to win a race that she absolutely should have. She managed to have Georgia move three points right relative to the nation in a year against a non-incumbent, against a guy who literally did a TV ad about how he was so conservative and that he had a truck because he was going to round up criminal illegals. And he and she. Could not oh, wait, hold on. Wait, wait, no. Also had a also had an ad uh, where he uh, uh, threatened his daughter's boyfriend with a gun. Yep. Thank you for thank. Yep. Thank you for that context. Um, yep. So Brian, Brian Kemp 2018 was a much more conservative firebrand. Uh, you know, yes. Remember Trump and Dorsey. That's how he won that primary. Um, then the <laughs> by the way, for the record, for those who don't remember now. that, for those who don't remember that primary, he was the moderate on immigration, despite the fact that he had a truck that would round up illegals because one of his opponents had a bus that wound up breaking down <laughs> on the highway. Right. Like the Georgia GOP in 2018 were running like super right wing candidates. Like it was it was a it was an open goal for her. And she just ran a bad campaign. She thought that like she didn't focus at all on trying to flip voters in the white suburbs and the exurbs. She made no effort to get the uh, voters who ended up voting for Biden in 2020 after voting for Trump. She thought she just could do black turnout. And that was that was the only thing she had to do. She's sanctimonious when she speaks. She refused to concede that election. And yes, even if there were minor uh, like even if there were issues with with the conduct of that election, um, like there were also a lot of ways that you could have gotten your gotten the results that you wanted because um, Democrats like Democrats managed to flip the six. They managed to come within 500 votes flipping the seventh. Like Democrats in Georgia had a good night outside of Stacey Abrams. Um, the guy, I don't remember the, the guy's name, but Democrats did force a runoff in the secretary of state election against uh, now in Raffensperger. 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 So the idea that Democrats were just doomed to a bad night wasn't really true. It wasn't borne out. And the thing is, is that Abrams did worse on a did worse compared to the nation than Hillary did in a in a super left turning state. And the thing is, compared to so she Georgia voted 10 points, uh, 10 points right of the nation in uh, in 2018, even just using the November Ossoff results where he lost by just under two points to um, to David, David Perdue, Perdue before winning David the runoffs. Perdue. Uh, Georgia voted just over six points right of the nation. She is measurably a worse candidate because she did somehow did basically as bad as Ossoff in an environment four points more democratic. Fine speech. And I will point out, like I said on Twitter, that comparing Ossoff to Abrams is like trying to find the best offense in the AFC South or I must now probably <laughs> say at least the uh, the best defense in, in my conference, the AFC North, which apparently sucks now. Uh, so I'm not saying that Stacey Abrams is a good candidate. I am saying that using Ossoff as a benchmark as a decent candidate is off base, in my opinion. He obviously he, comes he's an to incumbent senator. Can wait. I gave you Sorry. I gave you your time. Sorry. I got my I, here's this is this is my argument. This is my argument. He raises over 20 million for that special election and loses. He then has his race against Purdue, right? Where if they were in any other state, he would have lost. But of course, Georgia has the primary rules. They lose but within the margin of the libertarian candidate that uh, that that ran. It was a 90, uh, 49.7 to 47.9 final on November 3rd. And then we go to the runoff. And this is where I think we wind up uh, diverging because I do not view Ossoff winning in that runoff as particularly impressive at all. In that, number one, we have the sitting president and most popular Republican in the state of Georgia doing 
active voter suppression, active voter suppression. I was there on the ground. I was talking to people that were at the Trump rally that theoretically was supposed to be a get out the vote drive for Kelly Loeffler and David Perdue. Not only was where they barely mentioned, but that's par for the course with Trump. But the audience there was talking about how they weren't going to vote. At least they were talking to me about how they weren't going to vote. Number two, David Perdue wasn't even there because he was not on the campaign trail for the last two weeks because he had COVID. So beyond the fact that he is whatever kind of candidate that you would think he is and the most popular person in the state is actively telling people that their vote doesn't count, but and specifically that it doesn't count in Georgia and specifically that it doesn't count because their governor and their secretary of state are rigging things or allowing things to be rigged against them. Then he barely, barely, barely beats David Perdue uh, uh, 50.6 to 49.4. And the only thing that you could say is that Ossoff did beat the more impressive of the two senators that were up for uh, uh, election in, in the runoff. Kelly Leffler being less impressive than David Perdue. And on that night, I probably would have agreed with you because having watched Kelly Leffler speak and the campaign that she ran, I was not particularly blown away until you look at the next race that David Perdue ran, which is an absolute horror show against Brian Kemp that happened earlier in the spring. So regardless of what you think about Ossoff as a candidate, I do not believe that David Perdue was necessarily the the challenge that one might think when you just glance at the uh, at the page. As far as Ossoff goes, he, to me, is the most uninspiring uh, of the the Obama tribute acts that rolled out after uh, his you know Obama's presidency. He literally does the voice. He literally just copies and pastes the the uh, classic Obama stump speech. That's what he did when I watched him speak. And I watched a crowd of uninterested people that eventually went on to vote him in. Uh, uh, just kind of stand there and politely clap as he went on to his next location. That is my argument as to why Ossoff is overrated, even compared to Stacey Abrams. Again, even if we, I, I am not here to defend the 2017 John Ossoff campaign. I've written that that was one of the worst, if not the worst of the Trump era, um, which is why the fact that he managed to run. And even, you know, even if we want to accept that it was a mediocre replacement level campaign his 2017 campaign was like substantially like sub mendoza line so <laughs> if the argument if the argument was is that you know well he's only a 237 hitter yeah he was like a 125 in 2017 so like and you would and you would say stacy is below that i'd say i'd say stacy's like a 150 hitter like she yeah she's absolutely sub mendoza line like the thing about ossoff is he like he basically did he even ignoring the runoffs, which fair points and like we'll never like we don't we will never be able to, to recreate those. I, I think I mean I, I, I genuinely I genuinely believe if Donald Trump is not actively attacking the Secretary of State and the governor in the interregnum between November and those runoffs that either Warnock or Ossoff are in the Senate. I I, I believe that uh, uh, uh very strongly. Right. And there's no and there's no way to there's no way to argue with that. Like there's no there's no you you believe that and I'm, nothing I say is going to change your mind on yeah. that. You were there. You've talked to people. You have your belief. Again, also lost by 1.8 in the runoffs. Abrams lost by 1.4 in 2018. Ossoff got to run in an environment four points more Republican than Abrams. Like Abrams was a horrible candidate. <laughs> Any, I mean, the fact that she's a horrible, like the fact that she's, that she's like down, like, basically five six seven points in every poll basically no matter what the warnock walker number is she's she's doa essentially yes the fact that that's the case is like and she has more national name recognition she has even more funding dollars she has even more admiration now because of all the annoying white liberals who are like stacy stacy thank you for winning us the senate stacy um no She's not a good candidate. So one time she's been on the ballot, she massively underperformed. So let's let's get to this. Why is she lionized? Why is she getting the Madam President features? Why is she 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 looked at as this this uh, a a golden turnout goddess? Uh, because uh, because white liberals really 
really internalized that they need to respect black women more. And so instead of doing actual work that would benefit the majority of black women, they've decided to make a queen out of one black woman because that's easier and it fits with everyone's desires to make, to warp history and outcomes around one specific thing, right? So it's Abrams won us the runoffs through her dedication and her work. And let's just ignore the fact that voter registration in the state got a lot easier between 2012 and 2020. Like, let's just ignore the fact that when she was on the ballot, she ran a really shitty campaign and let's ignore the fact and let's, and let's blame racism on the fact that, um, uh, that Abrams lost Forsyth County by 43 points. Um, and Biden only lost it by 33 points, but let's ignore the fact that War- uh, Warnock only lost it by 35. So it wasn't raised. It's that Stacey's a shit candidate for the excerpts. Like it's just easy this way. It's easy narratives to be like, Stacey's great. And she's wonderful. Cause she's a person I've heard of. And it ignores the fact that it, it's actually a lot of work from a lot of people who aren't heralded and who don't pose as um, messianic figures in Washington post. Um, for Washington Post profiles. And is the president of Earth. So put some respect in her name. At least yeah, according to Star Trek. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. <laughs> uh, uh, well, I mean, it would take the creation of the Federation first. Uh, uh, are you willing to say, I'm pushing you into jinx territory now. Are you willing to say that the Democratic leads are beyond a standard polling error away as of September 20th, 2022. Yes. Republicans need a 2020 polling error and marked improvement in their polling to win the Senate. So right now, right, right now, now if, the, if, the, if the election yeah. was tomorrow, Democrats would win 51 seats in the Senate. It wouldn't even be particularly close. Do you believe that we're going to see a regression of Republican voters coming home? Uh, do I think John Fetterman's going to really win by eight? No. Do I think Mark Kelly wins by eight? No, but I don't. The thing is, is in, in Georgia, you know, we did the Herschel stuff off the top. I just, you know, yeah. Georgia's always going to be close, but I think Democrats have an edge. The thing about Nevada is yes, in 2020 Republicans beat their polls, but that was the first time they beat their polls in the Obama Trump Biden era. So that seems unlikely. Um, and the problem for Republicans is that in Senate races, they don't have the money. Rick Scott is basically committing, if it's not actually a crime, it should be a crime. What he's doing with NRSC money. Um, it is. The money situation is bizarre in the Republican Party right now because Trump's hoarding all of it. He's not spending any of it. Mitch McConnell and Rick Scott are in open warfare. And, and we're and, and you know, if. You can say that Rick Scott's allocation is professional malpractice, if not some kind of uh, of financial uh, uh, issue that you've seen floated in national media outlets. Right. It's 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 absurd. And like. The thing about the thing about Democrats is they are they are mostly managing to avoid the trap of 2020, which is they're not really focusing on North Carolina or Florida or Ohio. Right. Like. We haven't seen, uh, I don't even know who runs the DS, Gary Peters. We haven't seen him announce some like $10 million in reservations in Ohio. For, for to back Val up Demings Ryan. or something. Yeah. Or, or, or in Florida for Val Demings, right? Like they're yeah. playing a very tight map, which is the correct choice to make, obviously. Um, whereas Republicans are A, having to play defense in stupid states. B, for some reason, Rick Scott is insisting on... Uh, uh, New Hampshire being in play, right? Yeah, keeping keeping reservations for Don Duke, which Everson has him down at 11, and Everson's been one of the more Republican-friendly bolsters of the cycle, so that's... I don't understand what you're doing there, bud. Um, like, Republicans seem to be making a lot of the mistakes Democrats made in 2020 in terms of funding choices. Democrats are learning from their 2020 mistakes. And the thing is, is that in the four states that really matter, the polling miss is not nearly as bad as we remember, because we remember the like big Michigan, Wisconsin, Ohio polling misses five, seven, eight points in those states. Um, but like Pennsylvania polls were only off by three and a half. And again, some of the pollsters are adjusting are making corrections. So you would expect that even a 2020 miss is probably on the low side because in like if half of the people at an average are correcting for 2020 and half of them aren't, then you're probably not going to get a 2020 miss again. 
but like Republicans need a 2020 miss and more to win the Senate right now. And I think the chances of that happening are fairly low, which is why I keep writing Democrats are Senate favorites. All right. Evan Scrimshaw, where can people find your work? Uh, read my Substack, Scrimshaw, unscripted.substack.com. Uh, read my political betting columns and NFL content over at thelines.com. Uh, this week I read about why Doug Mastriano is probably not going to win, and I slandered Ben Simmons <laughs> at the same time. So that's a good read. Mastriano is one of those things that I, you know, when I saw him speak, I was like, you know, he might have an upside because he's more charismatic than Shapiro. He he has this like super intense history professor kind of vibe to him. Uh, and if he he showcases that, which would mean him going outside of his his own comfort zone, I thought he had a chance. And holy crap, has he done the exact opposite? Like, he well, has, and he, and he, has, he has, done, has no money. He, yeah. he hasn't been on TV since the primary. Yeah. Yeah, like, it's a uh, uh, but 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 even then, it's like there's ways that you can get earned media. And especially if your opponent is painting you as a total extremist, people are going to be interested to see more about you. And and he has done precious, precious little of that. So uh, good oh, luck yeah. to Doug. Yeah, no, it's a uh, uh, yeah, no, a lot, a lot of work, a lot of a lot of U.S. films coming. So just uh, and follow me on Twitter. I do. I tweet out all my stuff. Awesome. All right, man. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me. And that wraps it up for us today. Politics, 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 written and hosted by me, Justin Robert Young for Dog and Pony Show Audio in Austin, Texas. PX3Guest.com. Letter P, letter X, number three, guest.com is where you go if you want to say hello, thank you, or uh, generally just have a good time with Mr. Evan Scrimshaw. If you'd like to email the show, it is theyoungamerican at gmail.com. Find me. Streaming live on Twitch.tv, px3live.com. You can share this podcast with your friends, family, and clergy, px3podcast.com. If you'd like to support me with a one-time donation and a reminder, this is the season. If you if you got something there, trust me, it is greatly appreciated as, as we start to book travel here. PayPal.me slash payjury. My Venmo is justin-young-20. And our cash app is px3cash. If you'd like to send something to me at my P.O. box, it is post office box. 153184 Austin, Texas 78715. Again, PO Box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715. The running joke lately has been people sending me hats. I said on Twitter, I wasn't mad that everybody else was getting $10,000 to pay off their student loans. I'd already paid mine off. Would have liked $10,000. Not mad about it. I just would like a hat. I'd like a hat for my troubles. And while the federal government continues to lack, you, the citizenry of PX3, have stepped up in their stead. Indeed, it was only today that I went out to that post office box and I picked up a hat and I brought it out of the packaging and I saw a baby blue hat with stitched red lettering that read... Wiki feet contributor. <laughs> you guys are just the literal best. I love it. Again, PO box 153184 Austin, Texas 78715. And take a look at all the hats. I have them on a hat rack now on my Twitch set when I stream on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Of course, the only places you can get our bonus content is TakePoliticsSeriously.com. $3 tier gets you two bonus podcasts per week covering all the news that we miss on our free podcast schedule. And the $10 tier gets your name read at the end of the podcast like these fine folks in the Titanic. $10 tier. Neemeister, Matt, Unsafe DB Levels. Katie, Amanda, Yeo Pinball Shop, DP4 Bongo, Catherine, Todd, persons familiar with the matter, invoke Gloria Young for King of the New World Order. 
Edison, up, up, down, down, left, right, left, right, B.A. Select, start, Dr. G, Neil, Charles, Darren, 100-mile runner, Idris, Ars, Landian, Blue Front, and the Lenina, D.L., Stephen, Chad, Nomadic, Terran, Diana's turn two, Miranda, Janelle, Adam, Chief, Andy, Robert, Casey, Paul, is awesome. Brad, Richard, D. Laser, just another pilot, middle-aged Mike who loves Frank, got abducted. Utah, Jimmy, Montana, the Gen, A-L-D-L-D-L-D, really? Chopper, Andrew, and Joshua, you want your name on there? Especially as we head into midterm season? Takepoliticsseriously.com is the place that you need to go. Friday's edition of the program will see not only a roundup of attack ads. Heard a little one from Mandela Barnes early, but we got some doozies for you. And we are going to have a conversation that I think I I found great. We already recorded it. So uh, uh, you guys are really going to love it on Friday. But it's with a man by the name of Michael Ware. He has spent his career working with faith-based voters, or rather voters of faith. Because as this man points out, that is only 70% of the population what voters of, voters of faith are, what they are not, and why they are f- so much more than just pro-life. That's all on Friday. Until then, this is your old pal Justin Robert Young saying... Some shows talk about politics, others talk about politics, and still more discuss politics. But this, this is the only show that dares discuss. Oh, three. Diamond Club hopes you have enjoyed this program. <laughs> Dog and Pony Show Audio.